Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDBE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another special Wednesday edition of Steelers Preview. Mike Prezuda along with Matt Williamson and Merrill Hodge will be here until... 8 o'clock tonight, uh, another holiday week, so uh, we've bumped them, bumped up the program from its usual Thursday night time slot to Wednesday. And uh, another change this week is that uh, we're not going to be breaking down the Steelers-Browns game coming up on Sunday in Cleveland, at least not from uh, the traditional sense, uh, the way we like to do it here, the way we've done it here all season. Uh, I really don't care what the Browns like to do on third down. <laughs> I don't care what the Steelers are going to do on first down. I care about getting everybody out of Cleveland healthy and the Steelers picking up where they left off uh, in the second half against the Colts in the postseason uh, whenever they play and whoever they play. But, Matt, uh, I wanted to start with a two-part question for you tonight, uh, looking back on that uh, second-half eruption against Indy. Uh, As you saw that unfold and in the immediate aftermath, were you thinking, where did that come from? Or what the hell took you so long? <laughs> Both. I mean, without question. <laughs> uh, you're probably the same as me. I mean, when half rolled around, I thought, whoa, uh, you know, the, the dark ages are setting in. The, this team's going to have to find a quarterback. It could be a lean couple years. You know, I mean, times are rough. They're going to lose six in a row after winning 11 straight. And, wow, you know, I mean, I, 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 it, it, it seems like we said this last week. They're extremely Roethlisberger dependent, more than most teams are in their quarterback. And when he they go as he goes, and I thought he played extremely well. I think we'd have to get in his head to know what the difference was between that half and the previous, what, six halves before that. But, wow, I mean, I guess we shouldn't have doubted him. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll agree with you that they're very Roethlisberger dependent. Are they more so than the Chiefs are on Mahomes or the Packers are on Aaron Rodgers? 
Slightly. I mean, just because those guys are more of a constant, though. I mean, I guess that's not quite fair. I mean, everybody's extremely dependent on their stud quarterback. Packers I mean, aren't winning zero zilch right. nada without Aaron Rodgers. 100% are, true. And they are a soft, mediocre team without Aaron Rodgers. 100% true. And he's the league MVP, and Mahomes is going to be the runner-up. And, I mean, they're the best at what they do. And, obviously, I mean, the, the, all you need to know is the Chiefs are a three- or four-point underdog this week against the Chargers because Chad Henney's playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. enough said. But this, those guys – they do other things better than the Steelers, though, too. I mean, maybe that's not true for the Chiefs. They don't run the ball that well. And the Packers wouldn't run the ball as well if it wasn't for Rodgers. You know, so, no, you're right. I mean, they're not the most quarterback-dependent team in the league. Pittsburgh. But they're very quarterback-dependent. But they're very quarterback-dependent. We see they go as seven goes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm with you on that. And uh, in, a, in a nutshell, here's what I think happened. Uh, you know, to to make a long, complicated story short, I didn't think Roethlisberger started playing poorly until Buffalo. I think what happened in that Ravens game and leading into the Washington football team game, that's when the receivers started dropping every other pass. Yeah. Right. And then the offensive line started losing. You lose a pouncy here, you lose a guard there, and the protection starts to erode. And then all of a sudden, I think something got in Roethlisberger's head. I don't know if he was tired and sore, you know, at the latter stages of a long season coming off a of surgery. Uh, for whatever reason, I think he started to doubt. He started to doubt himself and pass up balls he should have thrown, and he started to doubt the guys with very good reason who were on the receiving end of those passes sure. were supposed to protect them. And I think it all kind of snowballed. And, yeah, I thought it, it, I thought the dark ages were indeed uh, right around the corner at halftime of that uh, Indianapolis game. But uh, I was fascinated by Roethlisberger's explanation afterward uh, when the rest of the world was probably losing its mind because they didn't take a timeout late in the second quarter, Ben talked about that deep ball to Deontay Johnson and how it it was there, believe it or not. And Johnson ran inside the cornerback and Roethlisberger threw it outside and the ball fell incomplete. And I think if you want to say what happened the last four-plus games, that's what was happening. Something was going wrong that they could have controlled and turned into a better result. And in the third quarter, they basically run the same play, and this time Johnson stays outside. And what do you know? He does what he's supposed to do. He arrives at point X the same time the ball does. He makes a diving catch because he's a good player, and they score a touchdown. What do you know about that? About and, that then, yeah. and they started playing ball again. And, I, th you know, I think uh, this is one reason why I wouldn't play very many people in Cleveland, as, as few as I could in terms of, you know, the, the key cogs in the machine. Uh, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I think they have restored the, their confidence in themselves. And I don't want to – don't go out and screw it up now. You're this close. Go go into the playoffs thinking, okay, we got it back. We're ready to roll. Yeah, I, that, that might be the best explanation I've heard yet. And, you know, I, I don't think Roethlisberger has probably athletically doubted himself very much in his life, but there has to be some – he has to be a little weary. Like you said, no bye, and the semblance of a bye they had was many, many moons ago, and a lot of games squashed in there and odd practices and all those things. And a couple things I just wanted to expand on, too. You know, you didn't mention the Bengal game. I mean, that was the worst I've ever seen him play, and maybe if yes, you couple yes. that. I mean, that was just a, a terrible Agreed. performance, yeah. no matter who the guy is. And you couple that with the first quarter or the first you know, half of the Colts game, that's six quarters in a row of – 
way below the line quarterback play. But at the yeah. very end of the half, you mentioned one he missed. He made a couple throws, too, you know, that after that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it didn't result in a lot, but maybe going into half, he started to get a little mojo going. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that Bengals game because I, I agree with you. I think that's where he bottomed out. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a debate. I can't remember if we went over this last week or not. Um, I'm convinced he passed up two deep shots to Claypool. Uh, Lewis Riddick, Lewis Riddick was on Monday night claiming the same thing on the broadcast. Uh, Ben said, nah, it just looked like he was open, but he wasn't really open, which I wasn't buying for a second. I've had people tweet me saying, stop listening to Lewis Riddick. It wasn't when he's not even trying to make the play. That's what those is. That's when the alarm bells went off in my head. Like, oh, something is seriously wrong with this guy. He's not the player he has always been. And you know, a lot of times I know I'm guilty of this. I don't know if, if people listening are or if you are, but you watch enough of this stuff and, and you can forget the human element involved. You start thinking, okay, this guy runs a 4-3. Mm-hmm. This guy can, can jump this high. This guy can lift this much. And, and you expect that performance to be consistent. One of the greatest players I've ever been around in any sport was Yarmir Yager. Oh, and yeah. This guy had zero confidence, Matt. I really? mean. If, if things didn't go his way two or three games in a row, he was in the tank. If he didn't do what he thought he should have done on the ice, whether that was scoring a goal or setting up a play or whatever, he would just, that whole dying alive thing that got so much uh, uh, publicity and, and, you know, follows him around to this day, it wasn't because he hated being in Pittsburgh. It's because he thought he couldn't play anymore. Wow. He was dying a lot, and it got kind of mis- misinterpreted. He was just funny that way. I mean, he's one of the greatest hockey players to ever play, and he was not a confident guy if things weren't, you know, smooth and if the sailing wasn't smooth and things weren't happening as anticipated. So, you know, maybe Ben's just a human being that kind of lost it for a while. And he talked about explaining to Deontay Johnson at halftime what he should have done and drawing it up on the board. Hey, next time do this. And you make the correction. I, I did not bring myself to doubt Roethlisberger's health in terms of his arm or his knee. And I didn't doubt that the guys I saw making so many great plays against Baltimore and Dallas uh, on the receiving end, all of a sudden forgot how to catch a football, but it was, I, I could not grasp why everything seemed to be going wrong at the same time. And you could throw some more of that on the offensive line and you could throw some more of that about the defense being situationally soft and it, uh, you know, one the the Washington game they didn't have an NFL kicker to make a forty six yard field goal when they needed it to win the game. It just uh, things really uh, just the bottom fell out. But uh, you know they they managed to uh, to cushion their fall, and I think they're in the process of bouncing back now. Yeah, and the one thing he didn't mention too is, but it, it they didn't have that backbone or foundation of a running game too. Like okay, someone's dropping passes this week, even though Ben's playing well but he can always rely on the run game or Ben doesn't quite have it today against Cincy. Let's run the ball. You know, like none of those, he didn't have that, that parachute, you know, and then that's been lacking for sure, which makes them extremely Ben dependent. You know I mean? That, that's what they're going to live and die by to be honest. And I was always reluctant to mention this on the air and every quarterback's different, but a telltale sign of when the end is near. And I think Eli Manning's the best example I can remember in recent memory they don't want to hold the ball that extra click. You know, they want to get it out. They want to take the easy one. They don't want to wait to go to that second level to uncover and maybe get hit in the chin. 
And I started to quietly to myself pay attention to that more with Ben. You know, like you mentioned the, the Claypool, Lewis Riddick examples. Like Eli wouldn't have thrown those either at the end of his career. You know what I mean? Like, is that what we're seeing? I'm still slightly open that we will see that. You know, I'm not sure Ben's 100% out of the woods and he's going to be a great, great player. But what we saw in the second half was extremely encouraging. You know, it's you've led me exactly where I wanted to go next. It's almost like we prepared yeah, we did to not. do this show, which which we never do. We like to run the no huddle, <laughs> make it up as we go, draw it up in the dirt radio and, and just bring it. But there was a comment made by Marquise Pouncey on Christmas Eve, and I found this fascinating. Somebody asked him in, in the, the media Zoom session, well, Ben got hit nine times uh, in the Bengals game. What do you think about that? And he said, I got hit 58 times. <laughs> Now, he didn't elaborate, and, and I'm thinking, what did you mean by that, Marquise Pouncey? And then during the game, Tony Romo, uh, you know, he went there. Now, he wasn't following up what Pouncey had said, but he talked about veteran aging quarterbacks, and he said, you know, to make some of these throws he's making today, you got to stand in there, and you got to take some big hits, and it gets harder to do the older you get. Yeah. And now that we're at the end of the season, I think you're going to see him standing in there a lot more and I think you're going to see him take it, and I think you're going to see them throw the ball down the field more moving forward. That That's not quite verbatim, but that's that's the gist of what Romo was saying. And, and, and then I started thinking back to the Pouncey comment. I thought, okay, maybe it's, hey, you know, hey, Ben, it's not always going to be perfect. Now it's time to hang in there that extra second and do that, you know, Roethlisberger pump fake that's legendary and then throw a guy open. And if you get hit, you get hit. We've gotten you from September to here. Now it's not about worrying about whether you're going to survive the season anymore. It's about whether or not the Super Bowl is going to be won. So, you know, take a shot. And uh, he didn't get hit that much against Indianapolis because, boy, were the Colts uh, a made-to-order uh, elixir in terms of, yeah, we're going to rush four, and they're all going to come from the same place every time, and you're going to know where we are in case you want to block us, and uh, we're just going to do it that way. Uh, might be a little story against – a little bit of a different story against a blitz-heavy team, but – that was the right team to work out the passing game kinks against. Yeah, well said. And it leads me back to Ben's competitiveness. And I spend an awful lot of time with Dale Lawley doing our show every day. And he, and I'm sure you'll back this up, because you guys have been around the team, the people, the locker room, way, way, way more used, than me. Used to be. <laughs> but used to be, back in the old, the Stone Ages. And the one thing Dale often says about Ben is, I don't know that I've been around a Pittsburgh Steeler who's more competitive than Ben. And I guarantee watching that Bengals tape and, you know, knowing how he felt going, you know, or most of the first half that he had to say, I'm not going out like this. You know, yep. everything else yeah. be damned. I am not, this is not the way that I'm going away. I'm not just going to fall away, you know, and just wilt away and die. You know, another uh, Romo comment I wanted to bring up, because I, I think the guy just does it. Phenomenal job, yeah. not just of you know, kind of letting you know what's going to happen next, but uh, having a grasp of every team's situation. Uh, you know, they got that Hilton interception after they took the lead, and, and Jim Nance is getting dramatic, and he says, "Now, can can the Steelers run the ball and grind out the clock?" And Romo goes, "Oh no, no, no of course not. not. Right. No, no, that's just, that's not happening. They're gonna have to figure <laughs> something else out." And you know, they got they got a couple of first downs. They didn't they didn't kill all the clock, but they killed a lot of it, and then they turned it over to the defense, and and the defense got it done. Uh, one more point about the throwing down the field thing. Well, actually, two more points. 
I went back and looked at the Bengals game. They threw it past the sticks against Cincinnati about the same amount of times as they did against Indianapolis. They threw a bootleg deep ball on the first play of the game, all right? They didn't hit any of them. It, it's not that you got to throw it down the field. It's You have to complete it down the field every once in a while. And that was different against Indianapolis. They didn't get the interference call on Claypool late in the Bengals game. They got a couple interference calls against Indianapolis. It helps to get the timely flag when you need it. And, uh, boy, it helps when they catch the ball. It, it just does. Um, and it, it's good. No, I was just, just going to say, it's Mike Tomlin said after the game, it's, you know, it's not as miraculous as you think or as dramatic as you think. We just played better. And all of a sudden, they just played better. And uh, the, I, I, I don't think it's an aberration that they played well against the Colts. I think the aberration was how horribly they played against, the against Cincinnati mm-hmm. and, and the three games before that, how below their standard the, uh, the product was. Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but it definitely happened before the Cincinnati game, to your point, that they realized they had to challenge more of the field. You know, the, uh, when you're 11-0, and 0, it's hard to go back in the drawing board and say, hey, let's stop what we're doing and switch it all up, you know, and then you stumble a little bit against Baltimore and say, ah, that wasn't our best day. We'll we'll, we'll keep the, the course. But then after a couple losses, I think you realize, hey, the, the, this what we're doing isn't working anymore. We have to attack more blades of grass on this field. And yeah. in the Bengal game, I thought there was an awful lot of open receivers and the quarterback didn't play well enough. And I know Randy Feekner is kind of target number one around here, but if there's guys open, I think the coordinator is doing, he can only do so much. I mean, he can only lead these guys to water. If nobody's getting open, if there's nothing to be had there, then you can go look back at coaching. And I'm not saying he's perfect. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues to contributing to this offense, but when, when guys were getting open, Claypool, Deontay, second, third level against Cincinnati, I thought, boy, they recognize the problem and they're just not clicking yet. Hopefully it comes. Yeah, well said. Um, you can you can draw it up, but the, the guy with the 17 years of in-helmet experience has to dissect it and throw it. Yeah, and the dude of the ball. If he doesn't, he doesn't. You know, even the Buffalo game, I remember they, they took a shot at James Washington. Again, one-on-one, he's throwing to the right guy, but the protection broke down, so he had to get rid of the ball too soon, and he ends up overthrowing him. They were just – something was off way too often in, in that in that bad stretch, but uh, hopefully that second half uh, against Indianapolis got him out of it, and uh, it'll be uh, an interesting postseason, much more certainly than we were envisioning – uh, in the first two quarters against the Colts or even during that uh, beautiful goal line series where they got the ball at the one-yard line and then lost the yard and then threw incomplete three times. <laughs> Fine line between, uh, what, stomping grapes and drinking wine, right? Yeah, you got it. Uh, we got a lot more to get to tonight, so keep it here. When we come back, Merrill Hodge joins the program, as he always does, and uh, we'll hear what Merrill has to think or has to say, I should uh, say, about all this stuff. Uh, with Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. We're going to be here until 8 o'clock tonight. This is Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back to the preview here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you till 8 o'clock tonight. Joined now by the third member of our preview team, Merrill Hodge. And if you were with us last week, you heard Merrill uh, 
bringing it with both barrels, and he was telling this great story, and the clock on the wall said uh, had to get out of town, and so I had to cut Merrill off. And uh, the response on Twitter included this, and I quote Anthony Timmett on Twitter, uh, quote, Mr. Pursuit, I really appreciate your work. I never complain without a solution. Please, for the love of God, bring in Merrill Hodge earlier in your Thursday night show. You get them all revved up, and then you have to cut them off. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Merrill, we made a halftime adjustment. You are now getting the ball earlier. Start running with it, brother. <laughs> it's like the Colts, right? There's the first half and then there's the second half, right? <laughs> Anthony, thank you, brother. You're a good man. <laughs> yeah, you know, he had a point. I mean, that was a pretty good story you were getting to in, in your way. I always say you have a little bit in common with Mike Tomlin. You never take uh, – you never miss an opportunity to use a paragraph – to say what you could say in a sentence. <laughs> that's right. So that's on me to be a little more condensed and a little tighten it up, maybe button it up, button it up, maybe. Yeah, just run that route a little tighter, but with the with the usual yeah. flair. Um, Merrill, we started talking. Matt and I did tonight about confidence and how sometimes uh, even the the best of athletes can maybe suffer a crisis of confidence. And we both came to the conclusion that we think Ben Roethlisberger, for whatever reason, lost it there for a little bit. And we think now maybe he's got his confidence back after that second half against the Colts. What say you? No, um, actually, I would not. I would not argue that one second. Um, I've known him for a long time, and maybe in the uh, in the hollows of the uh, mountains of Idaho, at some point on a hunt years from now, when I say, "Hey, listen, where's your confidence level?" When you at about the halftime after the Colts kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't gonna get it out of me now. But I can, you, you know what? You can see it in body language says a lot, and facial expressions. You know, and I've known him long enough to know that that he was rattled. I mean, you know, and um, he wasn't playing. You know, he'd done some things. I, I and I've been, I'm watching him since coming out of college, watching him get ready for the draft, and I'd never seen him play like that. You know, a stretch like that, uh, and some of it was him. And the others you could tell, the other part is he couldn't trust anything. And that's, that's a bad mix. So I'm going to tell you this, what they did in the second half to me is really a tribute to, like when, you, when it comes down to, you know, what's defining for a Hall of Fame player. You know, I know people look at numbers and Super Bowls and all that, but it's actually moments like that that I look at. is a, a guy that can rectify things um, when probably nobody else can or very few can. And what he did in the second half, you know, I uh, I did a playbook for the Steelers on this. In the second half, you know, what they did in the passing game that really changed things is Deontay Johnson is a very good route runner. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, but he does not see coverage the way Ben sees it. And that's kind of what happens when you got an experience like Ben versus Deontay Johnson's experience. But just before half, I think, you know, they threw that go route to him. That's a touchdown. If Deontay runs that correctly, that's a touchdown. Yep. Because it's quarters coverage. He keeps wide in the corner like he does initially, but you don't come back to the numbers. You just don't go there because the ball's going to be between the numbers and the hash. If he's where he's supposed to be, it's a touchdown or a big play, and you have a chance for at least three points. So in the second half, they got him into that coverage again. They knew they could get him there. <clears throat> but instead of making him read it, they defined his route for him. They did a slant and go. So they took advantage of all the slants that had been running and the shorter routes and in a slant and go off. That was the touchdown that they ended up throwing there in the third quarter. Um, so, you know, how you go about, you know, 
offsetting the things you're doing right and making things right. Um, he's really credit to, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm saying just Ben did that, but he has a, a big part of that, of that, those adjustments that have the coaching staff did a great job. Um, and what they did in the second half was really, um, it, it, without that, I'm telling you this, I would look at this game going, I don't know. I, I don't know if they can win another game, but after what I saw in the second half, the confidence level and the way they played on both sides of the ball um, is exactly what they needed, quite honestly. Merrill, a lot of analysts use things like chemistry and on the same page and all these cliches, but I think what you just described between quarterback and receiver is really the key. You know, that, that Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, you know, relationship where no matter what the defense does, there's no real right answer for the defense. Well, if you do it right, you're right. Everything's yeah. That, that's something got built in adjustments for everything. That is why you know I, I always kind of I kind of laugh at like, well, you know, they haven't thrown him the ball, they haven't targeted him. Like, hey, listen, if you understood coverage and what defenses are doing, maybe the ball just ain't supposed to go there. They've taken it away. There's a reason they didn't. You just don't go throw it to a guy just to throw it to him, unless you do have freaks on your on your team and people that you truly trust and that you can put the ball where only he's going to go get it. Um, but oftentimes, defenses dictate a lot of things of where that ball is going to go um, and where I have to get the ball to. You know, it's not like, okay, yeah, they're playing cover two. You know, and I, I know I shouldn't throw this, but what the heck? I'm going to make a throw here. That, that's, um, though, that type of attitude is what usually gets you run out of this league. Jay Cutler. Okay, Jay Cutler's a great – Jay Cutler's the perfect example here. There's Jay Cutler for you. First and 10, they run a pass play. Flat route's open. They've given it to you. That's where the ball should go. Jay Cutler will be like, you know what? I'm not going to make that. I'm going to try to throw the dig that I shouldn't throw, and it's incomplete. Now we're second and 10. Coaches love that. Come out second. Yeah, right. <laughs> now we come out. But we, ain't, but we ain't done. Now we come out in second and 10 and give me the flat again. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to make up for that first down plan. I'm going to throw a comeback, even though they've taken it away. Now we're third and 10. Now they're going to run cover. They're going to blitz me. And I really should throw the hop, but I'm going to try to throw the go. We're three and out. There's Jay Cutler for you. That, that's what Jay Cutler's biggest flaws was. He had so many skills and so much talent, but that was his biggest flaw. You know, when they finally benched him, people wanted to know why. And this is where I ultimately looked at the simplicity, what makes a Tom Brady great, okay, and all the real great ones great. Do they ad-lib and do some things magically? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they execute the play. They do what the play is designed to do and where the ball must go. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you got a greater chance of being successful and consistently successful. Merrill, they've already announced that Ben Roethlisberger is not going to play in Cleveland on Sunday. Uh, no Marquise Pouncey at practice today. No Dave DeCastro. No T.J. Watt. No Cameron Hayward. All not injury-related. Sounds like a lot of guys are going to get uh, either the game off or as much time off as they possibly can. What, uh, In your mind, what do they need, if anything, to do Sunday in Cleveland other than just get out of town healthy? Is, is there anything that they can yeah, do well, to become more playoff prepared or, or do you just want to, you know, shut it down, get through the last 60 minutes and then pick up where you left off? Well, I, I, you know, shutting it down should never be a thought process because that, that's dangerous because to shut it down and then try to restart it is a real difficult thing. And I think it's a dangerous thing. Um, 
you know, are you going to set some players? You know, I don't know who all is going to sit. If you're going to set the people you just mentioned, I would not be shocked at that. That's the right thing to do based on not having a buy, you know, especially where their health exists. Um, I don't know what Cleveland's dealing with. I don't know if they're dealing with the same kind of um, people that they had out um, against the Jets. Because if it was in their offensive line area, I mean, this actually could be a pretty good game <laughs> because their offensive line was a train wreck um, against the Jets, you know, and um, uh, Baker Mayfield was not very good. He, you know, he's not a very, been very consistent from the pocket anyway, but I just, to answer your question, the people that are going to play and they clearly know that right now is we're going down there to win, you know, and listen, everybody you, winning is obviously primary, but everybody has a job. You know, this is a job. I mean, and so you're playing for your job. So if you have a chance to play, you have to show I'm worth being here. Even if I'm the backup, or I'm going to start Then I'm worth being here. You know, I, I'm playing for my job too. So when you think of it in those terms, I, 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 you have to expect that yeah, they're going there to win that game with or without, you know, some of their stars. By no means do I think James Conner a star or an elite player. And a lot of Thursdays this year, we've highlighted some of his negatives and struggles this season. But the more I watch this running back position over the last two years, it's night and day when it's him in there versus somebody else. And anyone that thinks that running backs aren't that important, I'm sure you're not one of them, uh, it just highlights the offseason need for me to, for this team to find a factor back. And for that reason, I would sit Connor this week just because I think the offense is so much better when he's out there. Yeah, well, you know, they, they have struggled. You know, and it's not just in the running game. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll tell you this, Benny Snell had, you know, he, he had two really bad reads. One was down in scoring territory and one was another run in the, in the field where he just he missed the whole concept of the run, put himself – Listen, let's put it this way. If you have four guys blocking two and it's a rule in running, hug the double team. Hug the two you trust because two-on-one is going to be better than one-on-one, especially if our tight end is blocking one of their best defensive ends. That is not where we want to go because the guy's hands full. And Shooty ran right into the guy, left the double team, left the integrity of the play. Um, you know, ever since he put it on the ground, you know, those couple times, He's just not been the same. He's what I call he's become a ball carrier and not a runner. He's more worried about, you know, all the concepts of not fumbling, and then you can't really trust your instincts and run and play. Um, and all of them have done that. Where, where I think they have really hurt the team and they need to even get better going into the playoffs is their pass protection. Number one, identifying people, but then how you go about blocking them. You know, too many times they're sitting in the quarterback's lap. You know, one of the advantages you have from that position is getting people up at the line of scrimmage, cutting down, you know, the cutting down the distance between them and the quarterback because so many times they get driven right back into the quarterback at the last second, and, you know, that, that affects the throw. So they got a lot of areas that, you know, I think you're right in the offseason they could – you know, they'll have to address and they'll look at it, you know, and where can we get better? You know, rather those guys get better, we get people in there that can, can play that better in, not all, in all aspects of running back, not just running the football. Merrill, to answer your question about Cleveland's O-line, uh, the center, J.C. Treader, was limited today. One of the starting guards, Wyatt Teller, limited. Uh, one of the starting tackles, Jack Conklin, limited. And the other starting tackle, Jedrick Wills, full 
So uh, I would assume you're going to see the Browns offensive line. I don't know about their COVID receiving core or uh, what else is developing out there. But uh, as David DeCastro pointed out at midseason, I've stopped worrying about that. You show up on Sunday and see who can play and, and play with what you got. Um, last thing for you, and you could take you could take as long as you want to answer this question, mm-hmm. Merrill, because I'm not going to cut you off again. Uh, we started out four or five weeks in. The arrow's pointing to, eh, this team might be pretty special. Then we go through a stretch where the arrow's pointing to, my God, they might not win another game till next year. Where are they now? Well, they're really right in the middle, you know, and it, it depends on what. Well, you see what happen, what can happen at just a halftime, you know, you know, whether it's clearly some adjustments, you know, it's an energy and some mindset. Um, what can be built from there? Uh, and what I mean by there, I mean they need to have some what of a consistent running game or something that's a factor. Okay. That that could happen at any moment, just like the passing game went from um, an actual average limited to vertically um, explosive and dangerous in a half that has to continue that way. Number one. So let's say that does that running game eventually has to complement that and give it that balance and that other phase. Um, and then they've got to play defense in the manner that they have have played this. They can't have uh, a game like they did against Buffalo. Now they had a lot of guys at the second level linebackers out in that game, which you hope that. Um, in fact, do you know about Spillane? Has anybody known he'll be back? I think uh, it's a poss- possibility. Uh, nothing. Uh, nothing guaranteed one way or the other. Yeah. And see, and you know, even that he's been out a month. You know, that's hard. I tell you, that's just that's hard. Um, to be out a month and then come back in and really play like, you know, there's a reason that there's preseason and regular season and postseason. You know, you get seasoned. Like everything seasons you for the next step. And when you miss a month, that seasoning just isn't there. I, I've seen, never seen anybody play to the level they're capable of if they've been out a month. Um, in fact, it cost us a run. You know, in Bill Cowher's first year when he started Neil O'Donnell over, over Bobby Brister, who had been out almost five weeks. And Neil was a half a heartbeat behind on every play. He was so rusty and he was just, he was not in the same rhythm and it cost us. Um, but if they keep continually building off that second half, um, they're not quite as, as good as they were during the stretch of say, you know, week six through 10. Um, but magical things happen in the playoffs too. You know, they, they, you do, you have a sense of energy and um, there's, you know, about getting in there the way you do get in there matters. So, you know, crazier things have happened, but they will have to be better in those areas and consistent in those areas, you know, in order to win all they need to win and the Super Bowl. Merrill, great stuff as always. Uh, happy that uh, we were able to let you complete your thoughts tonight and uh, we'll keep doing the, uh, <laughs> we'll keep doing the second segment thing when we go back to Thursdays next week and get ready for the first of what will hopefully be a run of playoff games. Amen. Merrill, happy new year. Same to you guys. Happy new year, everybody. Go Steelers, baby. <laughs> that was uh, Merrill Hodge and uh, glad to get that in, uh, in its entirety This week, when we come back, uh, Matt and I still have uh, a couple of points to make, and we're also going to hear from Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski. I had a good time uh, talking to him via the Zoom machine today, and uh, particularly about all the uh, NFL head coaches, of which Stefanski is one with significant Pennsylvania ties. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. 
You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta along with Matt Williamson with you tonight until 8 o'clock. I wanted to, to let you know what Kevin Stefanski had to say today as he did a Zoom session with the Pittsburgh media. Kevin Stefanski, one of nine NFL head coaches, nine of them, that uh, are either Pennsylvania natives or they have significant Pennsylvania ties to the extent that they went to high school in Pennsylvania and really a lot of their formative years spent in Pennsylvania. Bruce Arians is from New Jersey, but he went to high school in York. Uh, Arians now the head coach of Tampa Bay. Vic Fangio of Denver is from Dunmore, PA. Joe Judge of the New York Football Giants is a Philadelphia native. Mike McCarthy of Dallas a Pittsburgh guy, Sean McDermott of Buffalo's from Omaha, Nebraska, but he went to high school outside of Philadelphia. Matt Nagy uh, was born in New Jersey, but attended Mannheim Central High School. Frank Reich of the Colts uh, went to high school in Lebanon, even though he's from New York. Matt Rule of Carolina, born in New York, but went to State College High. And uh, Stefanski from Springfield Township, which is just outside of Philadelphia. He went to St. Joe's Prep. Springfield Township is uh, a neighboring township of the township I grew up in, which is Abington Township. And uh, that had me wondering what uh, Kevin Stefanski thought about why Pennsylvania has become a Commonwealth cradle of coaches. No, I didn't think that growing up. Uh, Yeah, I think it's great for the state of Pennsylvania. Um, You know, obviously, me being from uh, Philadelphia on the eastern side of the state, and there's as you know, great programs and great high school programs and college football in the western side of the state as well. And, and so I think there's it's a rich tradition, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. Do you know the other guys very well? Uh, have, have your paths crossed often? You know, I know Sean McDermott uh, from uh, our days, my brief uh, days there with the Eagles, and got to know Sean a little bit. He went to – LaSalle High School, uh, which is a rival, actually, of my high school, St. Joe's. Uh, Joe Judge, I know. Joe's up in New York, played at uh, Lansdale Catholic. Uh, so, yeah, I do know uh, some of these guys. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Next is Tim Benz. Kevin, I'm wondering what your eyes sort of told you when watching the Steelers' pass game against Indianapolis. They seemed to finally be able to hit a few deep and intermediate shots, which they had been struggling to do in recent weeks. Do you look at that example and say, okay, that's definitely still there in the Steelers' repertoire, or how did you interpret what they did against an Indy defense that's maybe giving up some yards of late? Yeah, I think they did a nice job. I think their their offensive attack is multiple. Uh, they have, they certainly have the ability to push the ball down the field. They have the ability, uh, to be multiple in their run game. So, uh, we know, uh, what they're capable of. And, and you certainly saw it there in that indie game. Thank you, Tim. We'll go to Chris Adamski. Kevin, can you just talk about, uh, TJ Watt and he's the type of player you kind of have to game plan for and what makes him in your eyes so effective and good. Yeah, he's a great player. Uh, the tape is, is uh, jumps out at you. Um, I think physically, uh, he just has unique skill set in terms of size and length and power. Uh, they, they utilize him in, in a great role, great motor, constantly coming at you. Uh, so he, he did a great job in our first game uh, versus us. So, yes, he's definitely somebody you have to be aware of. Thanks, Chris. Brian Bacco, you're up. 
Kevin, speaking of PJ uh, Watt, you know, Mike Tomlin said yesterday that he's uh, he's not from this planet and that he would get his pick for defensive player of the year. Obviously, on, on your guys' side, Miles Garrett is right up there as well. Uh, what, what would be kind of the Browns' case for for Miles taking home that prestigious hardware if it comes down to that? Yeah, I don't know if I get a vote, but obviously I'll support my guy just like Mike's supporting his guy. Uh, you know, two great players. Uh, Miles in his own right, you know, just such a unique uh, physical uh, uh, player. Uh, gives great effort throughout the game, um, good in the run game, good in the pass game, but uh, has made game-changing plays for us. So uh, happy we got him. Thanks, Brian. Ten Benz is next. Kevin, speaking of Miles, uh, two-parter on him. First of all, how is he doing physically in the wake of his uh, battle with coronavirus? I know he's had some quotes out there about trying to get his wind back. Uh, that's the first question I'd ask. And secondly, uh, mentally, where is he coming into this game with Rudolph potentially starting and, and the potential residue from the last time Pittsburgh visited Cleveland? Yeah, I think uh, physically, Miles is getting better and better. As, as the days go on, the weeks go on, you know, we've been mindful of all of our guys that have, have uh, battled uh, an injury or an illness in, in this case. So how they practice, how we bring them along, we've been very mindful. And then, you know, in regards to the second part of the question, you know, I, I think Miles in a, in a really, really great place. Uh, he understands uh, what's what we're asking of him uh, as a player. He's been doing a great job, uh, gives great leadership to our team. So I think he and, and we and I think everybody is well past uh, that uh, from last year. Thanks, Tim. We'll go back to Chris. Just, you know, news is coming out about the positive tests and everything. Is there any concern that, that this will affect the game at all? Or, or, or there's any is the contract tracing process in, in, in a good enough place that you're not worried about that yet? Yeah, I'm just taking it hour by hour, Chris, so hoping to have practice here later um, and hope to hear from the NFL soon on that. Thanks, Chris. Mike, back to you. Kevin, what did you see of, of Mayfield upon your arrival, and, and what are you seeing now? Where where has he come this How far has he come this year? Yeah, I think he's done a, a nice job. Uh, you know, I keep going back to uh, this is a new scheme, for him and we're asking him to do things uh, really that he hadn't done before and the only way to get better at those is to do them and work at them and uh, I think since we got together there in July I think he's worked really really hard uh, that's where you miss out on that off season you know you need to make up for some lost time and I thought he's done that uh, just by working his tail off at the pre on the practice field uh, very diligent in the meeting room so I think he's uh, constantly uh, getting better. Thanks, Mike. Brian, you're next. Kevin, you guys are in a situation this week where the Steelers are going to be resting some guys for the postseason, or at least quarterback, we know for sure. Uh, have you been in that situation before as a coach in the league uh, on this side of it? And is there any – you have to tell your guys, hey, even if you see some unfamiliar faces over on the other side or lesser-known guys that uh, you, you can't take them for granted because they're, they're still going to be pretty hungry. I mean, situations like this come up uh, every year. You know, I was part of it last year at the Vikings. Uh, you know, we rested uh, some guys, played the backup quarterback in the last game. Um, so it's it's not unique uh, in that regard. I do know this. It's, this is it's not like there's a hundred man roster and you rest everybody. And that's that's just 
you know, not going to happen. We are fully aware uh, that we have to play our best football to win on Sunday. This is a really, really good team. They're very well coached. They have great players uh, up and down their roster. So we understand the challenge uh, that this uh, is that's presented in front of us. Thanks, Brian. We'll go to Tim Benz. We'll make this our last question for Coach Stefanski. Yeah, Kevin, the last one I want to squeeze in here was uh, if you could provide any sort of update for us, just health-wise, where your line stands, your offensive linemen. Uh, I know you've had some issues there, and including Chris, who was obviously here in Pittsburgh, too. We know about that. But uh, health-wise for your line, where do you guys sit? Yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll see how the week plays out here. Uh, you know, hope to get Jedrick Wills back. Uh, you mentioned Chris, who's, who's uh, had surgery and is out for, for the year. Uh, but get, gave us great reps this season, a really awesome teammate. Um, so disappointed for him. But uh, with everybody else, we'll work through it and see where we are by the end of the week. A lot of, a lot of good stuff there from uh, Kevin Stefanski. Uh, Matt, did you ever uh, spend a moment or two and, and think about all these head coaches with uh, these significant Pennsylvania ties and wonder how that came to be? No, but this was actually the first week I've became aware of that. I mean, that's an unbelievably high percentage out of 32 head coaches, you know, uh, over 50 states. But I will say with my, my three years at Pitt and really getting to understand the high schools and the, the history around this area of Pennsylvania, as well as the rest of our recruiting areas that we hit, it doesn't totally shock me. I mean, people take their football very seriously around here and in the whole state. Yeah, I, I take a lot of pride in it. I got to be honest with yeah. you. I, I I was born in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I've lived here for a long time. The only other states I've lived in are Michigan and Indiana. And I just think there is something special about football uh, here in the Commonwealth. Last thing, Matt, we got about a minute and a half left. Uh, what planet is TJ Watt from, <laughs> and it, and is he the defensive player of the year? I think so. I mean, I, to me, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player on the planet. And deserves it every year. But I think Watts actually had a better season. Yeah, I'm not going to argue. And, uh, you know, he's got a he's got a one-and-a-half sack lead. I don't think he's going to get a chance to add to that. Would you play him? Would no. you play Joe Hayden? Would, would you play Cam Hayward? Would you, you know? I mean, some of as them many you guys have to dress you... and in case somebody in front of you gets hurt. It's, it's easier said than done to just sit everybody. Um, but Watt... I wouldn't, he wouldn't be nowhere close to the field to be. I mean, he's, he's a pads on, he doesn't have a helmet on for sure. Yeah. I'd like to see a lot of Anthony McFarlane running the ball. I'd like yeah. to see a lot of Mason Rudolph throwing it. I'd like to see a lot of Justin Lane. Uh, let's dust off Sean Davis and get him some time at safety instead of making Fitzpatrick uh, as, as much as you can possibly uh, prevent risk, prevent it. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week for a two hour edition on Thursday. Until then, for Shirtless Tom behind the glass, thanks to Merrill for chiming in as he always does. Thanks to Matt for uh, helping us through the hour here, and thanks to you for finding us. You've been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everybody, and Happy New Year, Steeler Nation.